Sweet Bean Weekend coming up with the parade on Main Street, but I will have a Gesundheit with Jacobus radio show in the morning, so please tune in. Dr. Edward Dredz and I will discuss a variety of health-related topics, including a research paper on fat-soluble antioxidants in relation to female reproductive health. Dr. Dredz may stay for the full three hours if his busy schedule permits. It's Gesundheit with Jacobus, Saturday mornings at 8. Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And good morning, everybody. It is Sweet Pea Weekend. Thanks for tuning in. And for those of you indeed who are not running downtown, we just saw a bunch of people sweating and looking tired as they're running down Main Street to the finish line, that is the 5K, and I'm sure the 10Ks are running as well. I know there is a parade coming, as you men- as I mentioned in the promo, but I do hope that many of you are still listening to the program today because I have a feeling the topics we're going to discuss are going to be interesting and insightful. It is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I am your host, Jacobus Holloway. As we're talking today about health healing and healthy lifestyles, We do it every Saturday morning. Just want to let you know that this program, it's not about giving our opinion and you take it as a cure, a diagnosis, or a treatment. We're just sharing information, sharing information, and hopefully give you some education and entertainment. Uh, Always, I, I, I recommend that you see a physician or specialist after the show, somebody of your own choice. Uh, read more in books and periodicals and even the internet to get more information about uh, a certain case that you're dealing with or somebody close to you who is suffering from an illness. Uh, The information is out there. We are truly living in the information age if that's what you want it to be. And health is no exception. There is a lot of great information out about health. I see more and more people. I talk to more and more people who are indeed educating themselves and slightly challenging their physicians with uh, with information and handing them information to say, hey, please look into this because this is something I would like to approach or I would like to uh, like to work with. Having said that, quick introduction to my guest, uh, Dr. Edward Dretz. He is director of research program in the biochemistry of cell signaling for about forty years. That has been supported primarily by the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, and private foundations. He has made significant contributions to research on animal and human nutrition during his research career. And uh, great to have you back in the studio, Ed. Well, Jacobus, one of the things you said in introduction really prompted me to make some comments. This information age we're in is a real blessing. You know, we have all this information, but it's also a curse in a yeah, way yeah, because yeah. people, you know, they're having a health problem or their friend or their family or something, and they they look on the Internet and they get information, but there's so much different information there, and you really have to be careful 
not to take kind of the first thing you find. If you're really serious about this, you, you have to look around and compare, uh, but it's very tricky sometimes. And this personally, um, in the last two weeks, the internet, for example, has been just flooded for me with uh, a story saying, uh, hey, look at this, big new study, uh, omega-3 fatty acids have no benefit for heart health. Yeah. And I said, wow, how can that be? There's so much, you know, good studies out there saying it's beneficial. And, you know, how, how, can, how can this be? But the well, you the have news, made this. The news source yeah, a was, it seems like some of these people on the news are looking for anything that they can find that's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went and looked at this study. And it was published in a, you know, in a normally acceptable uh, venue. Periodical. But if you, if you look at it carefully, there's, it's something called a meta-analysis. And that's something you have to look out for. It's a term called meta-analysis, if you actually go look at the literature. And what that is, is taking several different studies and comparing them. And this should be a perfect way to do things, right? Take lots right. of studies. Yeah, I've got a meta-analysis. Now I won't have to go look very far because they've got it covered for me. Mm-hmm. The problem is that it seems like <clears throat> that the people who run the meta-analysis have biases and uh, they can choose uh, articles that they're comparing that may not always be the best ones. And so uh, this later, later, latest meta-analysis conflicts with earlier meta-analyses that found beneficial effects of omega-3 fatty acids, fish oil on, on heart, heart uh, health. Right. And so I think this is really another example of fake news. We've got fake news all around us in politics. Right. right. But yeah. now here we're getting it more and more in health and nutrition, and it sort of pains me, but I'm not sure what to do about it. Now let me just read you a few or make a few notes about this. For example, on the heart health meta-analysis, yeah. a lot of the studies that they, um, that they included in their um, analysis were people who were already you know, pretty darn sick. Right. And then they were given modest doses for short periods of time, and it's a, like, like too little too late. You know, you need to, if you want to prevent disease, you've got to, you know, maybe start a little earlier than well, when you're already, you're already pretty darn sick. Well, sure. I mean, you should, you should pursue whatever you can to try to help you when you are sick. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that a lot of the studies that were included in this meta-analysis were ones where, where people were already pretty darn sick and they, you know, they don't get an immediate result of the nutritional effect like you might with a, with a drug. Right. Uh, but... Uh, so that's one issue. Another issue is often the doses were kind of low in many of the studies. I see. Yeah, and yeah. The studies were fairly short term. This you know, oh. requires a longer mm. uh, period, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, then, if you look carefully at their darn paper, they found a statistical beneficial effect of EPA and DHA. Those are the most powerful omega threes. You know, the EPA and the DHA in fish oil yes and uh, but the darn people in the article said there's probably no benefit even though their own analysis if you look at their paper yeah. shows it so they must have had some kind of bias 
yes. that they were pushing. Somebody so, walked in the studio and says, walked in the office and said, just write this down. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but doctor, we found it. No, just write this down. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so, uh, and they also didn't track the omega-3 levels in their control group, yeah. right? Well, yeah. not all of the studies, but they lumped together many different studies. Yeah. So what the message should be, I think, is it's your omega-6, omega-3 balance that counts. Mm-hmm. And if you have uh, really, really high omega-6, you're going to need a lot more omega-3 to balance it off. Mm-hmm. And this is not an easy thing to figure out. But yes. uh, if you really want to find out, then then you can do that. Find out which foods you know, you're eating are tend to be high in omega-6 and, and low in omega-3. Correct. And so you can overcome this problem by taking supplements, mm-hmm. uh, long-chain DHA, EPA. And, for example, just to give you an example, uh, there are many small groups of, of people around the world that have uh, are, are healthy, very healthy. But one of the most striking ones are Greenland Eskimos. Okay. And they have the lowest heart disease of any group that's known anywhere. I think there may be some other groups somewhere there is good, but uh, I don't know of them. They're they're really very very low heart disease, low type two diabetes. They're very healthy. Yeah, they yeah. they have a very high fat diet. Uh, you know, blubber for breakfast, blubber for lunch, blubber for dinner, <laughs> uh, and for and, dessert. Yeah, and for dessert. <laughs> but it's very high quality fat. You yeah, know, it's it's very high omega three and low omega six. Yes, and they have incredibly low. Um, heart disease. Yeah, uh, I think the uh, factor is a factor of maybe thirty or forty lower than the U.S. average. I don't know the exact right? number, but wow, it's very, still very low, significant. So, but now it's not genetic. You might think, well, they're genetically selected, right? But uh, it turns out that uh, it's easy for these uh, uh, Greenland Eskimos to move to Denmark because Denmark owns Greenland, and so they don't have any problem. You know, going there, making a living, trying to have a yeah, job. Yeah, whatever. Or something. You know, I don't know. You know yeah. exactly, but uh, what what's found is once they get off their traditional diet, or if they stay in in Greenland and and go to Western diet, then their heart disease rates go up and their type two diabetes rates go up. So it's it's just not genetic. And yes, I I mentioned at breakfast mm-hmm. the same kind of thing with with Japanese. You know, we have the, the rural Japanese are almost as healthy as the Greenland Eskimos in terms of low heart disease, low type 2 diabetes and right right nature. right but if the if the uh japanese simply move to the city they double their heart disease rate and then if they'd move to new zealand or australia or europe or the u.s they go right up the heart disease rates that people have in those you know western diets right and you know they have a harder and harder time getting their traditional foods mm-hmm. and uh the same thing happens with native americans you know they used to have Absolutely. Really healthy diets, yeah. right? Eat of and the now, land. Now they've, they've got, you know, uh, nothing better to eat than grass-fed buffalo or whatever, you know, yes. you get or, you know, yeah. the no- local uh, other traditional foods. But too uh, many carbohydrates right now. Too many uh, carbohydrates, yeah. uh, too many omega-6s, yeah. too few omega-3s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the traditional diets were, you know, much, much healthier. And uh, there are, you know, cases where, where Native Americans have returned traditional foods and their right. health improves enormously. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's it's the the amount of information out there is terrific, but you know it's also confusing sometimes. Absolutely. And uh, 
talk, just simply talk about meta-analysis, how studies are being compared, and that, that, that you often read studies, then you got to look into who is writing the study, who has done the study. Uh, is there any money that has exchanged hands <laughs> in order to give you a, a, a faulted vision about what the truth is really really is, or it may be truth in that study, but the, the numbers, the... Uh, uh, I don't, in this case, he was talking yeah, about pick and choose yeah, the pick studies and choose you you include in and your the analysis. subjects you you include. And so, one of the things when you read a, a scientific article, uh, often at the bottom of the first page, but more likely at the back of the article, right. there'll be a section if there's any uh, potential conflicts of interest. Yes. In other words, where did these people get their financial support for that work? Yes. And that's. You know, one of the first places you should look just to double check that that there's no uh, built-in bias that way. People can have biases. We're all humans. We all have some biases. Yes. But uh, if you're trying to uh, give a message for for health and diet and things, you have to mm -hmm. be you know really careful about that. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's pretty confusing for people. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, it's really worth trying to keep healthy. Rather than try to, you know, prevent, you know, deal with disease once it comes on you. Yeah. So prevention is is is, is key. Is key. It's key. And and it, I, it's tricky, but uh, it's worth worth the effort. Right. And I and I see this indeed more and more at um, as I talk to customers, and uh, even yesterday I talked to somebody and I tell him too, you know, he's suffering and it seems like his body starts to fall apart, and. I said, when you feel your body starts to fall apart, that doesn't mean that it happened overnight. This is something where you have seen symptoms and maybe ignore them. Yeah. Uh, you, you keep eating what you're eating. You keep exercising the way you do. You don't make any change in what you're doing. You just say, it must be something else. Yeah. It must be. It's very difficult for people to get out of a routine, to get out of the rhythm, to we all have this blind corner somewhere. We just don't want to see a part of ourselves that may need the most change. We're creatures of habit. We are creatures of, us, of habit. But of then when things start to go wrong, the last thing we want to do is give up the habits. <laughs> so we go to a doctor and said, can you reduce this pain? Or can you tell me why this is? And they say, well. Sure, we'll give you a pill that'll reduce those symptoms. Correct. But that doesn't you know, fix the underlying problem. Yeah, the so, so basically, I mean, there are two major things that I think are wrong with many people's diets, and that's this omega-6, omega-3 balance. That's a really big one. Too much omega-6 uh, causes inflammation, mm -hmm. and it also robs the brain of enough omega-3. So not only, and in, if too much inflammation drives cancer, uh, arthritis, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, on and on and on. Uh, and so traditional diets, old-fashioned diets, had a omega-6, omega-3 ratio of about two and a half. Yeah. But the typical American diet now is 10 times too high in six. Yes, it's about 20 to one. Yeah, 25, 30, depends on the detail for yes. the people. Yes. And then the other thing is to reduce sugar. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's the next big thing. Yes. Now, there are other considerations, but those are the two big messages, I think. Is that, uh, and you can overcome to a certain extent the high six if you take three supplements. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, Jacobus or other people can advise you about that. 
but uh, those are the two biggest things to try to stay healthy is to pay attention to your omega-6, omega-3 balance. But I also believe that for many people, when you tell them to reduce their sugars, they, they want to kill you because they sure love they their sugars. Sure. Well, people so, get addicted to sugars. You bet. And so I tell them, uh, look at other foods. There's a lot of other foods. You can eat your vegetables. You can increase your protein, increase your fat, because they digest much more slowly than sugar. And when that is the approach you take, then once you start eating more proteins and fats and, and, and wholesome vegetables, your body is so full and satisfied, it burns this for a longer time, so your craving for carbohydrate goes out the window. Comparable well, to, an, to a fireplace, sense, yeah. you don't want to put, even though paper is a wood product, you don't want to build a fire in a fireplace just by using paper. You, you will need some logs and, and that are your proteins and fats, depending on what kind of wood you use, right? If you use oak or ebony or you use uh, maple or, or pine, they all burn a different length. And and so when so we when sugars we, like the the newspaper you throw in there that burns very hot quickly, and fast. yeah, doesn't get you all heated up, but it gives you a quick kick. But you're going to have to stay around the fireplace. But you're you can't going to have to have another kick, and if you just very it, quickly, and then another kick, and then another kick, and then another kick, correct, and you get addicted. You get addicted. That's what you're going to do. And so what people often do is they eat a good meal, but then they wait too long before they eat anything else. And so then they say, well, let's quickly put in some sugar, put quickly put in some paper back in the fireplace to get the fire going. But eventually you will need your logs in order to keep the fire burning. Yeah, another another thing that fits there is uh, low-fat foods, like low-fat dairy, uh, low-fat you know, cheese, low fat. Yeah, great whatever point. Whatever it is, great you point. Know, that uh, you know, in dairy, depends on whether dairy agrees with people or not. But uh, regular dairy has quite a bit of sugar in it, yeah. uh, lactose. And so, if it's full fat, the fat in the dairy moderates the blood sugar swings. But uh, if you have fat free, then you don't get that benefit, and you don't get the benefit of the fat. And uh, there are many studies that now show that, that uh, dairy fats have all kinds of beneficial effects. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I saw you tackle that one this morning. <laughs> when he saw me put my half and half in my coffee. <laughs> yeah. he, he told the waiter, bring me lots of cream. Yeah, right. <laughs> the boy so, looked at him. Oh, right. what are you talking about? But, but yeah. the, uh, so, so, I mean, like for kids, for example, uh, they're off, mothers are often advised to get use low-fat milk, low-fat yogurt, low-fat this, yeah. low-fat that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kids don't like that blue milk so much. So then they get advice, well, then just give them chocolate milk. But chocolate is bitter, so they have to put sugar in the chocolate milk. So you get now fat-free, sweetened chocolate milk yeah. is kind of the worst thing you can give kids. I guess you could, you know, give them something worse, maybe... Uh, heroin or something but yeah uh yeah but i mean it's really bad for them because the their blood they still have the sugar in there their blood sugar goes way up right and right. then they uh they they tend to crash from that so uh full fat um dairy for example is far far superior to the fat free side mm -hmm. and uh and so i mean if you can get the dairy from cows that were raised on grass rather than than uh, 
than grains, then yes. you have a better omega-6, omega-3 ratio. Lower mm-hmm. 6, higher 3. So we got on a break already? We are in a break. Okay. We're, we're going to hit a break. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a rumbling, <laughs> rumbling there. Well, some music, some theme, theme song uh, music uh, letting us know that the break is coming up. We will be right back, Professor Dretz and myself. Stay tuned, please. Uh, good morning, Cola. Thanks for joining the program today. Happy Sweet Pea to you. What's your name? How can we help you? This is the Contra Movement. Oh, uh, look at that. What kind of movement? Yeah, the uh, Contra Movement. Contra. Yeah. Because uh, that was in South America a long time ago. We had high hopes for them. but Posing the Sandinistas. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now it kind of turned odd. Well, all right. Not only the scientists are using these meta-analyses are down fish oil supplements, but Anthony uh, William, who has hundreds of thousands of readers, says he has no formal science education of any kind of substance, but he gets his information from inspiration, and he's inspired to say this. Since millions of fish are processed for their oil, mercury levels are quite high. Just trying to lower the mercury content actually actually destabilizes the mercury, and it becomes like homeopathy that the more substance is diluted, the more its frequency increases, and the more power influence it has on the subtle body. Now, you've interviewed fish oil people, and how do they claim they get the mercury out of so many millions of fish that they are processing together? And since you've had numerous programs on homeopathy, does this observation that the processing of a million fish will bring out the homeopathic frequencies of the worst of the batch? Basically what happens is that uh, if you if you get straight fish oil, which often is pretty cheap, uh, it can have some mercury in there, uh, possibly. It doesn't probably have very much. And whether there's any effect of that tiny amount is very, very hard to say. I think it's unlikely, but, uh, uh, but the, the best uh, omega-3 supplements are the purified DHA and EPA, which are the brain-active omega-3s. And these are in compounds called triglycerides, and these can be distilled uh, under vacuum, uh, warm them up a little bit, and uh, you, know, you probably understand about distilled water. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is distilled fish oil, and you distill off the uh, DHA and EPA, and that removes every molecule of mercury. Mm. So if you want to test yourself on uh, on homeopathic effects of mercury, you could take mercury in addition. In fact, there I think there is a homeopathic... Mercury is vivus? Yeah, yeah there is a homeopathic mercury, and yes. you could try that and see if you can tell with your uh, uh, inspiration and your sensitivity whether that's having an effect on you. But if you take EPA and DHA that's purified uh, by a reputable company, I think, and they're all reputable, I believe. No, they're not all they're reputable. They're not reputable. No, okay, well, no, no. Uh, yeah, Jacobus probably knows more about no, I just I do. just know that certain companies are much more careful in this yeah. than, uh, than uh, maybe a Walmart or a Costco in their approach. There's no other way that you can sell it as cheap as they do uh, unless there is something fishy going on, fishy, uh, no yeah. pun intended. Yeah, but, you, uh, yeah, you go to some of these places, uh, you can't even, when you read the label, you can't even tell exactly what's in there. It just says yes. fish oil on the front. You know, but if you want to affect, if you want to yeah. investigate the effect of mercury, you should try to separate the effect of fish oil from that of mercury. So you can use this, this homeopathic mercury 
that you can buy and uh, try that on yourself and see what you think. I, you know, Daniel, it's so interesting because you have used Anthony William uh, on the program several times. I, I never dug into it uh, much. Then I all of a sudden hear his name come up uh, because he is a, a medical medium. Uh, he has come out with several books in which he says that there's a spirit standing next to him that approached him when he was only four years old. So it's a very powerful uh, story, and he has helped many people. Now he has written several books. And somebody came in the store the other day and showed me the three books that uh, that she had. And I uh, I think it's fascinating. But then with all the years that I've done this, all of a sudden to hear somebody say, uh, saturated fats, you got to be very careful. Uh, you shouldn't do much protein. Uh, and then talking about uh, drinking celery juice, which is fine. But to do that every day in order to get rid of toxins and then talking about uh, making a lot of smoothies that have just fruit in it primarily, which I think is too much uh, sweet, in my opinion. He also says that potatoes are fine. Uh, bacon is not good. Oh. Uh, you know, so there is different things that he says. And I, my feeling is if somebody says that they are inspired by spirit or inspired by God in this time, in this case, because I think that's what he's talking about, that somebody's passing him on the message from God, it is very interesting that it's very contradicting a lot of the research that has come out that I truly believe is fair. And when I listen to Ed Dredd's with his 40 years of study in, in, in fats and seeing what he has seen, then I, I'm a little bit surprised that somebody like him is, I mean, Anthony Williams is coming out and saying, you know, you got to be very careful with fat and not too much. And uh, the the keto diet is a fad and, uh, you know, stuff like that. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, here's the quote. He says that a fish oil supplements, why don't you skip over to fish-free, plant-based, algae-derived omega supplements. That's fine. There's no no, no problem with that. Oh, but, well, then. Yeah, we yeah there's no problem it. with using the algae-derived no, I understand that, but at the same time, I feel if you if you go to a, if you say I own a bakery, okay. Now, are you having a bakery? So you make bread. Do you make white bread only? Do you use bleach flour that is uh, that is genetically grown, uh, or do you use whole grain? Uh, do you use gluten free? Uh, do you have organic whatever? So you, if you call yourself a fish oil company, if he says fish oil. And, and Anthony Williams throws that out there, then I say, yes, there are, are companies who really don't care about the quality of the fish, and they don't care about um, uh, catching fish wherever they can catch it. Uh, it doesn't matter what comes in the nets. They just see the profit signs. Or you can have companies that are responsible fishers that go to waters. They know when to stop fishing because otherwise they damage the population. They move to other areas in the world. They catch the fish over there. The fish is purified. If you take Nordic Naturals and if you take Barleens and if you take Carlson's, those are companies, in my opinion, that give a high-quality fish oil. And But if you go to uh, to Walmart and Costco or NatureMade, and get their products, then you look at all the fillers that they put in, they put in soy oil. And then I go Ugg. like, why do you want to put soy, what? Ugh, horrible. Yeah. yeah, so why do you add that to a fish oil? And then why does it have to have microcrystalline across caramelose or something, caramelase in it? There is a lot of stuff that is added that doesn't make it fish oil, uh, unless Anthony William, as a, as a medical medium, will say, 
uh, the spirit tells me that you should not buy this and this and this company, then I say, okay, I can live for that. But if he says fish oil, then I then I have a hard time with it. He maybe wants to be what we call politically correct. Uh, be careful, but then be more specific. If you write books and tell people not to do fish oil because it's commercially grown, then um, uh, it's dangerous. To me, that is, again, I have an issue with that. And I was a little bit shocked when I heard some of the comments that the person made about the book. I probably should get the book and read it myself. But these were the first quotes thrown at me. I think one of the worst pieces of advice that people have gotten in, in for 30 years is to avoid saturated fat and, and avoid fats in general. And the problem there is that people then tend to eat more carbohydrates and more sugar. They've got to eat something. Yeah. And a high sugar is you know is really has many many negative health effects uh including you know fatty liver and type 2 diabetes and even alzheimer's disease yeah this cookbook has a lot of sweets in it a lot of sweets and uh, they're all from fruit but that's still sugar and so i'm a little bit surprised that uh, that he is talking that way uh but you know the thing the frustration that i have uh, daniel is that when if somebody says they have the spirit talk to them, I will be the first one to say, wow, you know, God is talking to you. So that means that all of a sudden, we might as well throw all the medical books out the world, uh, of, uh, out of there, burn them, because they mean nothing, because if Anthony William will say, well, the spirit that tells me that this and this and this is wrong, or this is the way to do it, that means there is really only one solution, which I know there is only one solution. But we're all different individuals, and I think to pass the message on the way he does, the way I first heard it, is a little bit confusing, to say the least, uh, because we're all different individuals, and we all uh, uh, reach, we all hear information at different stages in our lives, and we have to try to make adjustments. But uh, when somebody says God is talking through him, I will be the first one to say, wow, that's awesome. I'll do whatever you say. But I think his message looks kind of iffy to me. I, I would like it much better. I don't know the guy at all. I haven't read any of his stuff. But if he would sit down with an individual and give them what individual spirit, advice, what his spirit is telling him, you bet. I'd feel better about that. No, he's uh, helped a lot of people. But to write a yeah. book yeah, and he, make get blanket. He says he's over, overwhelmed by uh, consultations. He's well, that's what he should do and, and, and draw out his book. Throw out his book and do right. personal con consultations. I think. Yeah. Uh, have well, you ever tried? To, have you ever tried to see him? Where does he? Where does he hang no, out? He, where is he located? I don't know. Probably California. The way. Probably he, California. <laughs> yeah, that's likely, isn't yeah, it? Maybe yeah. the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> Daniel, yeah, you had another point. Why don't you take a trip out there, Daniel? See what you think of him in person. Yes. Well, let him come to me. Uh, no, I don't think he'll do that. I think you got to get on travel out there. Yeah. Uh, he says you jump over these debates by eating small fish like sardines, uh, sure, wild salmon, sure. yeah, but sure. not, never, never, never farm fish. They just feed. I agree. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like him already. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So was there another oh, point you, you wanted to bring, Daniel, or was that it? Yeah, just balance that he's got information. The scientists have information. Scientists fool themselves just like. Yeah. people are God's talking to them. Uh, <laughs> right. Oh, no kidding. I, I, it was when I started the show by saying how uh, you get all these conflicting uh, scientific studies. So yes. that's a big problem. Yeah. All right. Thank well, you, thanks Daniel. for the call. We'll see you. Thank God. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So one of the things I didn't hit quite hard enough, I think, is 
is the sugar business because it's just connect, high sugar is disconnected to so many negative health effects. And you've probably heard the 61 names of sugar. You know, even if you're oh, very, yeah. very careful about reading labels, there's, they hide the sugar in so many different names. Yes. And one of the things that is, uh, you, if you read the health food literature, they'll say, oh, use things like agave syrup or agave because that doesn't bring your blood sugar level up. Uh, well, the problem with that is agave is almost pure fructose. So that doesn't register on your blood sugar level. The blood sugar is glucose. So regular sugar, sucrose, table Suc sugar, sucrose. Is, is glucose, fructose connected. Okay. And so when you take that, your body breaks it into glucose and fructose. Okay. But some sources of sugar are very high in fructose. And so they don't bring your blood sugar up because fructose doesn't show up on the blood sugar monitor. I mean, if you, you know, get this little blood sugar monitor at the store and you prick your finger and you put it on the, in the, in the meter, yeah. you don't see any effect of, of, of fructose or agave. Mm -hmm. It's only glucose. I see. So, uh -huh. But the 61 names of sugar all have uh, negative effects. They, one of the things they do is the high fructose leads to fatty liver. And one striking thing that I just became aware of, actually through uh, uh, Robert Lustig's work. Book, yeah. Yeah, is the Hacking that, of the American Mind. Hacking of the American Mind, my favorite book. Yeah. Yeah, uh, these days. And uh, he points out that there are many more people who are thin that have type 2 diabetes yeah. than people who are overweight that yeah, have type 2 diabetes. That was very interesting, very yeah. interesting. And, and so they're fat on the inside. Yeah. They've got fatty liver, yeah. but they're not fat on the outside mm -hmm. so the fat the fat per, uh, fat on the person is correlated with type 2 diabetes more people that are heavy have type 2 diabetes in per percentage wise uh, higher risk but the total number of people in the united states that have type 2 diabetes is much higher for normal weight people than it is for uh mm -hmm. obese people yeah and so the sugar and then and then going on to alzheimer's disease is that the high sugar greatly increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease. And a lot of people with cognitive decline have hot, strong sugar cravings mm. because their brain isn't getting enough sugar. And so they have type 3 diabetes. Yes, which is a very interesting article, the startling link between sugar and Alzheimer's that uh, was published in The Atlantic. And I think it was an article that came out in January of this year in uh, theatlantic.com. A high carb diet and the intended, attended, attendant high blood sugar are associated with cognitive decline. Now it does say it says in recent years Alzheimer's disease has occasionally been referred to as type three diabetes, though that moniker doesn't make much sense. After all, though they share a problem with insulin, type one diabetes is an autoimmune disease, and type two diabetes is a chronic disease caused by diet. Instead of another type of diabetes, it's increasingly looking like Alzheimer's is another potential side effect of a sugary Western-style diet. Now, in some cases, the path from sugar to Alzheimer's leads through type 2 diabetes, but as a new study and others show, that is not always the case. A longitudinal study published in the journal Diabetologia, <laughs> Right. followed 5,189 people, almost 5,200 people over 10 years 
and it found that people with high blood sugar had a faster rate of cognitive decline than those with normal blood sugar, whether or not their blood sugar level technically made them diabetic. In other words, the higher the blood sugar, the faster the cognitive decline. Now, it says over here, one thing that is, I think is, needs to be added into this, and this is one reason why uh, working with Marion Bakra at the Gesundheit Nutrition Center, a clinical nutritionist, she's been very helpful to explain that many of the blood tests simply do not give the correct ratios. So when you look at triglyceride levels and uh, in a, in a, in a uh, cholesterol test, whereby the the norm the normal range says that normal is 30 to 150 or 30 to 200 that means that you can be all the way up to 140 150 190 in your triglyceride triglycerides is the amount of sugars that were not absorbed by our cells because the cells didn't want them that are now temporarily stored in the fat cells that flow in the bloodstream because they say, well, if Jacobus is not eating tomorrow, if he skips a meal because he gets busy, we simply release the sugars back into the bloodstream so the cells can absorb them for energy. And so, uh, but if you eat the same way every day, you got your own routine, you simply have a buildup of sugar that is not used and that starts building up in the bloodstream, which can cause all kinds of problems. And when we had Ellie Collin on the show many years ago, she would say that if your, bl- if your triglycerides go over 85, that is a much lower number than the doctors will tell you. If it goes over 85, you're actually are accelerating your risk for uh, uh, hyperglycemia and diabetes. So in my opinion, a lot of people walk around with prediabetes or diabetes simply by the triglycerides being so high. Then you have the, um, then you have the hemoglobin A1C in which Marion says no higher than 5.6. Doctors are saying, well, if you hit well, six, okay, yeah. no, seven is not okay, but they go six, you're prediabetes. So there's too much of a range. And so when we are increasing the amount of carbohydrates in our diet, we simply at 98.6 degrees are fermenting, are creating an acidification of that sugar in the system, which starts to affect all our organs. And we need to do something about this. Well, the the, the thing about the brain is that uh, most of the cells of our bodies prefer to burn fat. That's the heart, the muscles, Unless we're exercising really heavily and we drop our oxygen level, then we can switch over to kind of emergency sugar burning. Yeah. But uh, our body, most of the cells of our bodies prefer to burn fat, and they do all day. Uh, but uh, the brain uh, normally requires glucose, sugar. Yes. And so if you have low blood sugar, then you often can notice it in your brain. You might be grumpy. You might be low in energy, whatever. Uh, and as people get – but as many people get older – their brain has trouble taking up sugar. So their brain cells are now starving and they're not, uh, they're getting cognitive decline. But those people, many of those people have a tremendous sugar craving. They'll want more and more sugar because their brain is saying, hey, we need more sugar up here, eat more sugar. But it doesn't, you know, it just makes it worse and worse. So there's been, many people have responded uh, extremely well to a ketogenic diet where if you have cognitive decline, you lower the sugar to get rid of it as much as possible yeah. and then go on a high saturated fat diet. Yes. Uh, coconut oil, uh, other avocados, sources, other fish sources, oil, flax oil, uh, other sources of, of 
saturated fat are particularly good, and uh, many people have come back from Alzheimer's, at least for years. Yes. Uh, It doesn't seem to be a complete cure, but it uh, certainly makes them more functional and more interactive. And so uh, that's why there's been about, you know, 2,500 papers now on Alzheimer's calling it type 3 diabetes. Oh, wow, okay. it's an increasing uh, concern. And uh, I'll just give you a little quick, if we have a minute here, uh, it's hard to do dietary studies on humans because it's hard to, you know, you have to keep them in a metabolic ward to really control what they eat. I see. But it's easier to do it on animals. So the animal studies, you know, are are interesting. If you take rats and you put them on, uh, you put just fructose in their drinking water, 15% 15% fructose, like they're drinking soda or something. Uh, and they quickly get fatty liver. They get uh, uh, cirrhosis of the liver. They get type 2 diabetes. They also get cognitive decline on high fructose. But if you give them DHA, the long chain omega-3, then they still get fatty liver with the fructose in their diet, but they don't get cognitive decline and they don't get type 2 diabetes. Okay. So the DHA in that case in the animals is an antidote to a mm, bad diet. Mm. Wow. Wow. Now, so that's uh, just rats, you know, yeah. and, and you, we haven't done that experiment in, in humans, but, you know, it makes you, makes you think. It does make you think. That's true. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I often thought that long-chain fatty acids have a place, but they're not that beneficial for us, that short and medium-chain uh, have more effect and successful for the brain. But you say DHA, DHA is, is the a long-chain fat. is the long-chain omega-3, and it, no it, makes up, it makes up our, our synaptic membranes. 50% of the synaptic membranes is DHA. And if you don't have DHA, then the body puts in something else that doesn't work as well. People get anxiety, they get depression, they start using drugs and alcohol, uh, even increases suicide to okay. have low DHA. Wow. All right. Good. Well, thank you for that. Okay. We're going to take a break. We've got our number one in the can. Okay. Two more hours to go. Hopefully, Dr. Dratch will stay with me the full three hours. I don't know what else to talk about unless he's <laughs> with me in the studio. But uh, and I appreciate you tuning in today. We're going to be right back. Um. Want to let you know that just during the break, uh, Ed uh, got a phone call and he has to leave. He had to leave, and uh, so uh, we had him for an hour, which is kind of what I thought. I even mentioned in the promo. He said I can probably do an hour, maybe more. Um, so, in any case, uh, I'm by myself now. And if you have any any questions, I, I kind of wanted to do an open line with him so that we can touch on different topics. He had different topics. But uh, since it is sweet pea and people may be in and out and enjoying the weather and enjoying the run and the parade, etc., I thought, you know, I'll, uh, I'll discuss a slew of topics. I didn't really want to get one guest in, talk about one, pro- one, one topic specifically, so I thought this may be the way to go. So at this point, uh, I open the phones for you. If you have a question about something that we talked about in the first hour about sugar, a little bit about Alzheimer's, which I will go back into also about fish oil, meta-analysis, meta uh, the fake news in the research industry, and if you call it the industry, that is all playing a part of it. That is all was all part of the discussion in the first hour. I do want to continue on the uh, topic of the, uh, the link between sugar and Alzheimer's because it can take us into new directions, uh, including pain. 
And we're going to talk also about opioids today. I just mentioned this article that was published by The Atlantic back in January of this year. And there was the link between sugar and Alzheimer's. And they say that uh, so in, in this study that was done on almost 5,200 people over 10 years, they found that people with high blood sugar had a faster rate of cognitive decline than those with normal blood sugar, whether or not their blood sugar level technically made them diabetic. So technically is that the ranges on which the laboratories say this is normal range, in my opinion, and I, I based on information that I've read, those ranges are crazy. They're crazy. Uh, literally, people are not getting the right information about thyroid, about hemoglobin A1C, so diabetes. They don't get the right numbers on, 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 on vitamin D. They don't get the right numbers on cholesterol, on uh, triglycerides. There are issues here whereby we are given the wrong information, which means if you are on the fringe with your number, you could be continuously dealing with symptoms, symptoms that are not properly diagnosed doctors will simply say according to our information everything is normal so if you have a symptom we'll just give you medication and then that is when for many people who don't need medication i'm not talking about somebody who has had surgery and needs some pain medication because of the 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 healing that they're going through i don't have a problem with that but people are put on medication for all the wrong reasons simply to uh, satisfy their request of getting rid of a uh, symptom. You can get rid of a lot of symptoms within about a 24 to 48 hour window if you're willing to work on it. But many people don't want to do that. They say, we don't want to give up what we're doing. We like our habits. We just want to take extra stuff. So what you're, what you're telling the doctor, now listen to this carefully, what you're telling the doctor is the only thing missing in me feeling great was your pill. If you give me that pill, that was the missing link in me becoming better. If you listen to those words and you realize, yeah, actually, that's what I'm telling the doctor. Give me a pill to solve my problems, the problems didn't start because you haven't had the pill yet. Does that make sense? So please, be more discriminatory when it comes to taking medications. Dementia is one of the most prevalent psychiatric conditions strongly associated with poor quality of later life. Interesting again, did it start in later life or did we set the standard at a younger age, and we simply have now continued the tradition. But uh, currently, dementia is not curable, which makes it very important to study risk factors. It's very difficult for me to sit here and say something is not curable. Are we talking about somebody in the end stages of Alzheimer's? Or are we talking to somebody who is starting to become more forgetful? If we say, well, it looks like you have Alzheimer's and you're telling me that it's incurable, to me, that is a message that is a dooms message that 
doesn't give hope to anybody. It only opens the door for more medications so that you can manage it. Melissa, Melissa Schilling, a professor at New York University, performed her own review of studies connecting diabetes to Alzheimer's in 2016. She sought, S-O-U-G-H-D, she sought to reconcile two confusing trends. People who have type 2 diabetes are about twice as likely to get Alzheimer's and people who have diabetes and are treated with insulin are also more likely to get Alzheimer's, suggesting thereby, therefore, that elevated insulin plays a role in Alzheimer's. In fact, many studies have found that elevated insulin or hyperinsulinemia significantly increases your risk of Alzheimer's. On the other hand, people with type 1 diabetes who don't make insulin at all are also thought to have a higher risk of Alzheimer's. So how could those both be true? Schilling, Melissa Schilling, posits this happens because of the insulin-degrading enzyme. This is a product of insulin that breaks down both insulin and the amyloid proteins in the brain, which is the same proteins that clump up and lead to Alzheimer's disease. So people who don't have enough insulin, like those whose body's ability to produce insulin has been tapped out by diabetes, are not going to make enough of this enzyme to break up those brain clumps. Meanwhile, in people who use insulin to treat their diabetes and end up with a surplus of insulin, most of this enzyme gets used up, breaking that insulin down, leaving not enough enzyme to address those amyloid brain clumps. So very interesting. According to Schilling, this can happen even in people who don't have diabetes yet, who are in a state known as what we call prediabetes. Again, that's why I'm saying the whole blood testing is just off. People are walking around as a pre-diabetic or as a diabetic and don't even know it yet. So just because people will go to the doctor and say, can you test my blood? And the doctor says, goodness gracious, you have diabetes. How many people are walking around who never get a blood test? A lot. So many people say, eh, it'll go away. They don't, whatever the symptom is. However, if high blood sugar is an issue, how does your body use the blood sugar to come out? How can it get your attention? So that is an important part because our body has different ways to let go of build-up stress. It could come out through symptoms throughout the uh, digestive tract, the skin, the sinuses, the lungs, uh, the urinary tract. It can also affect the pancreas, of course, the heart. It can affect cholesterol. It can affect uh, different parts of our body. It can affect the joints. People who have joint pain don't go to the doctor and say, can you check my blood test level? They, uh, for sugar, they simply say, Doc, I have pain in my arm and my elbow, my, my joints. And the doctor says, you know, you better go see an orthopede. And then you go over there and they just, they're surgeons. So they just say, sure, we'll just cut you open and clean it up. But what is the cause of the problem? How many people are willing to listen to the cause of the problem? Because that means if there is a cause that you caused yourself, are you willing to change your path 
and run in a different direction whereby you will undo the damage that you have created yourself. Again, there are people who have pain because of accidents. It was not their fault. It could be a work-related accident that was not their fault. It could have been a car accident that was not their fault. It is just so many people are where they are today in a sick state because of their own decisions they've made and they stuck with it because they felt good at the time and they still feel good today except we don't like the symptoms. So when somebody like this says this is this is this could be it can happen to people who don't have diabetes yet who are in a state known as pre-diabetes trust me they probably already have diabetes. So this whole pre-diabetes thing is such a gray area that goes from light gray to dark gray because it turn, before it turns really black. This is something we got to keep in mind. It simply means your blood sugar is higher than normal, and it's something that affects roughly, hold on to your hats over here, 86 million Americans. We have 330 million Americans. That means that one in four, one in four Americans have this state of accelerated sugar that we know of. We don't know about those who never go have a blood test or are too scared to get a blood test. Now, Schilling is not primarily a medical researcher. She's just interested in a topic. But Rosebud Roberts, a professor of epidemiology and neurology at the Mayo Clinic, agreed with her interpretation. In a 2012 study, Roberts broke down, broke nearly 1,000 people down into four groups based on how much of their diet came from carbohydrates. The group that ate the most carbohydrates had an 80% higher chance of developing mild cognitive impairment, which is a pit stop on the way to dementia, than those who ate the smallest amount of carbs. People with mild cognitive impairment, or MCI, can dress and feed themselves, but they do have trouble with complex tasks. Intervening in mild Cognitive impairment can help prevent dementia. So how do you intervene? Do you give a medication or you say, listen, we're going to change this around. We're going to change what you eat. We're going to do different exercises. We're going to do word games, puzzle games. We're going to be interactive more socially, etc., etc. Rebecca Gottesman, Gottesman, a professor of neurology at Johns Hopkins, cautions that the findings on carbs are not as well established as those on diabetes. It's hard to be sure at this stage what an ideal diet would look like, she said. There is a suggestion that a Mediterranean diet, for example, may be good for brain health. Well, guess what? It contains fat. But she also says there are several theories out there to explain the connection between high blood sugar and dementia. Diabetes can also weaken the blood vessels. Interesting. Sugar can weaken the blood vessels, which thereby increases the likelihood that you'll have many strokes in the brain causing various forms of dementia. Of course, that makes a lot of sense. A high intake of simple sugars can make cells, including those in the brain, insulin resistant. So insulin resistant just means that the cell says, God, I have too much sugar. I don't want any more sugar. 
So the sugar stays in the bloodstream, which now causes the pancreas to produce insulin. The insulin is the vehicle to take sugar into the cell. So that continues for a while until the cell goes, you know what? Every time insulin shows up, it brings us more sugar. So shut the door on insulin. Don't let it in. So we are resisting the insulin. So now the insulin is stuck in the bloodstream, and that's no good either. Uh, a high intake of simple sugars can make cells, including those in the brain, insulin resistant, which could cause the brain cells to die. Meanwhile, eating too much in general can cause obesity. The extra fat in obese people releases cytokines or inflammatory proteins that can also contribute to cognitive deterioration. Can. So just like Dr. Dretz just mentioned in the study from Robert Lustig about the hacking of the American mind, he clearly states that there is a larger amount of people who are skinny who have diabetes than people who are obese who have diabetes. Because the people who are obese are not guaranteed that the that the uh, the sugar is actually going into the cell, deteriorating inside the body. They may simply become fat on the outside of the body. But people who are skinny and who metabolize the sugars differently affect the liver. And when the liver is is has become toxic, it's hard for the liver to release ketones out of the fat that can nourish the brain. So we keep sending sugar to the brain. We are not getting enough fats in the diet. And so the brain simply becomes dependent on sugar, which can therefore cause inflammation in the brain, which can cause diabetes or cognitive decline in general. In one study by Gottesman, obesity doubled the person's risk of having elevated amyloid proteins in their brains later in life. So I'm not denying that, but again, we have to find out uh, how many people were involved in the study and who did the study. Roberts said that people with type 1 diabetes are mainly only at risk if their insulin is so poorly controlled that they have hypoglycemic episodes. But even people who don't have any kind of diabetes should watch their sugar intake, she said. Just because you don't have type 2 diabetes doesn't mean you can eat whatever carbs you want, she says, especially if you're not active. What we eat is a big factor in maintaining control of our destiny, is what Robert said. This new study by Z, by Z from, from China, is interesting because it also shows an association between prediabetes and cognitive decline. And I say again, if you don't set the parameters correctly, a lot of people are falling in the pre-diabetes range who should have been already diagnosed as diabetic. So, uh, in a way, they go by the parameters that we know, but they're not going with what reality really is. That is, by the way, an important point that often gets forgotten in discussions of Alzheimer's. It is such a horrible disease that it can be tempting to dismiss it as inevitable. And, of course, there are genetic and other non-nutritional factors that contribute to its progression. But, as these and other researchers point out, decisions that we make about food are one risk factor we can control. And it is starting to look like decisions we make while we're still relatively young can affect our future cognitive health. Alzheimer's is like a slow-burning fire 
that you don't see when it starts, Schilling says. It takes time for clumps to form and for cognition to begin to deteriorate. By the time you see the signs, it's way too late to put out the fire. So this is very interesting, in my opinion, the startling link between sugar and Alzheimer's, as published in The Atlantic on January 26th of this year uh, by Olga Kazan. I just, I think it is a combination of that. It is, I still stick with my guns when I say that there is an increase in Alzheimer's and cognitive decline in people who are taking statin drugs because the statin drugs remove fats out of the system, fats that have a beneficial effect on our body. They're there to help repair. You move the fat out of the body, trust me, you're also moving it out of the brain. The br a brain without fat is an open door to inflammation, and inflammation can turn into Alzheimer's and platforming. So in my opinion, um, the statin drugs are dangerous, and uh, should be reconsidered, not just by patients first, also by doctors and naturopathic physicians as well, if they say go on statin drugs, and they should definitely be checked by the FDA and by the pharmaceutical companies in that order. So it starts with the individual. Uh, put your money where your mouth is. So... Anyway, this is, uh, this is something I wanted to share with you. I know we're coming close to a break. I, uh, I stick with this point because um, I really feel that we need our brain, and we all have brain farts at times. Uh, that just happens. There are people who are super brilliant all the time, but many of us, we just sometimes lose. We forget simple things. Uh, people start freaking out when they don't, don't remember where their car keys are. But some of us are just so busy, busy, busy all the time. We simply are out of our we, 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 we are out of our routine about where we put stuff. And so we just dump it and quickly do what we need to do and then we forget where we put things. So build certain routines for yourself that are good. But when it comes to food, be more critical about what you put in your mouth. Uh, diet sodas, sodas in general, if that is your, uh, if that is your, your choice of drinks, uh, start doing, last week we talked with Bert Golding about the pH balance. Start putting things like cell power drops in your water, in your liquid, in your tea. Uh, start doing more minerals, do more fats, like Professor Dredd says about the DHA fat. Add good things to your body. It's not what you will find within 24 hours, but will you feel better in two weeks? Will you Can, can you see the difference in a month? If you all of a sudden uh, haven't done uh, if you do something good, you will start noticing differences, improvements very quickly. Now, that doesn't mean that the complete healing is done. It will take more time. But it, when you see an improvement, that pretty much means your ship is just changing course a little bit. You're still in the ship. You're still on the high seas. But your direction is going a little bit more towards where you really need to be at. And in my opinion, those are the important parts that we realize we can set the course where we're going to go from here on out. It's not anybody else that has to do it, that can do it for us. Eventually, I mean, you can have a tugboat trying to pull you into course, but if you keep pulling the wheel to the other side, it's not going to be 
it's not going to be pretty. So in my opinion, let's go get to work. Let's get to work and 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 do things that are that are conducive and helpful for a year from now, a month from now, two years from now, etc. So anyway, thanks for listening today. Uh, we're going to take another short break. We're halfway. We'll be right back. Uh, this segment, I would like to talk about women's health. There was an article that came out in um, late December, and it's called. Uh, it it uh, it was actually uh, it was in the health section of the New York Times. It says birth control pills, birth control pills still linked to breast cancer study finds. Now, I'll I'll go through this because it is really interesting. It's something that I have recommended to women to really watch out for because you are going to create an, an area whereby you are approaching birth control, but you are messing with your hormones. And when you mess with your hormones, an imbalance between the amount of estrogens versus your progesterone can cause cancers. And that is why we have to watch out. It says women who rely on birth control pills or contraceptive devices that release hormones. So this is an important part. There are things you can do that do not have hormones. For example, condoms usually do not contain hormones. They just catch the semen, but they're not releasing hormones. If you have um, birth control, women who rely on birth control pills or contraceptive devices that release hormones face a small but significant increase. <laughs> it's funny. How can it be small but significant? Ah, oh, God, you know, you can have a small cut, but it's in, that is significant painful. Uh, I can see that, but to have a small but significant increase in the risk for breast cancer uh, makes no sense to me. And by the way, it's not just breast cancer. It really is any hormonal cancer in women. It could be uterine, cervical, vaginal, ovarian, uh, uh, fallopian, uh, ov you know, it could be any of the female organs. The study which followed 1.8 million Danish women for more than a decade, upends widely held assumptions about modern contraceptives for younger generations of women. Many women have believed that newer hormonal contraceptives are much safer than those taken by their mothers or grandmothers, which had much higher doses of estrogen. The new paper estimated that for every 100,000 women, of every 100,000 women, hormone contraceptive uses causes an additional 13 breast cancer cases a year. <coughs> Excuse me. That is, for every 100,000 women using hormonal birth control, there are 68 cases of breast cancer annually, compared with 55 cases a year among non-users. Now, that to me, that's an interesting concept. Uh, of course, there are different causes why people get breast cancer. Uh, it could be naturally an imbalance between hormones that is already occurring, but it is interesting nonetheless. So, in a, it's almost it's uh, it, it it if you would literally look and say what may cause breast cancer, 
and you solve those problems that is not just related to the woman only, it is also because of toxins in the environment that we are have been exposed to in the last 50 years, then you would say, well, uh, you add on top of all the, all the crap that we're exposed to, you add a birth control method, a contraceptive with hormones, well, you increase it slightly. I go, I'm sorry, but that is just ridiculous. We, we need to make sure that breast cancer, is, which is the poster child of all the cancers in the world, uh, most money is dumped into this bottomless pit of fighting breast cancer that has, <laughs> there will never, ever, trust me, there will never, ever be a cure for breast cancer. It just won't happen. It just will not happen. Not one that is officially accepted and implemented because it is not cured by any kind of treatment. It is cured by a change, a drastic change in the course of how we do things in the environment, in diet, in hormones, in attitude, in uh, in uh, in using herbicides, pesticides, in the use of uh, using hormones in animals, in uh, using hormone replacement therapy. I mean, it is vast. It's a vast, big change of direction. So that is not going to happen. I guarantee you. There's too much money involved. And why would anybody try to find a cure? So for all of you who get emotionally involved and somebody has breast cancer said, now I really want to do something to it, you are going to spend your money on a cause. You're going to spend your money on an organization that literally is not in the business to cure. They're in the business to keep themselves in business. And so that is a tough, tough reality to deal with. That doesn't mean there are not good-hearted people. It just means that there will not be a cure for breast cancer that will be found in the way that we are doing studies right now. The people who publish the studies will not come up with a cure. It's simply simple like that. Good morning, Cola. Thanks for joining the show. What is your name? How can we help you? Hi, this is Jerry. Hey, Jerry. <coughs> um. <clears throat> This is back on your um, Alzheimer's talk Go. Yes, topic. You bet. Um, I found that interesting, and I do agree with the statin, your statin opinion. Thanks. Um, but I don't know when high fructose corn syrup appeared, but I do remember there was a theory that high fructose corn syrup was causing diabetes too, which yes. Yes. Um, all of a sudden appeared too. Yes. Um, so that might be what's doing, you know, part of the brain thing instead of the sugar um or it could you know who knows um but i had trouble getting words out in 85 yes um and my mother-in-law had commented that she hated to see me when i was her age yes before that because i my memory was so bad yes i had um acid reflux mm -hmm. and was told by a doctor it was a hiatal hernia which i not sure about that. He never did the test. Yeah. Um, because when the chiropractor would adjust me, it would go away. Ah, uh, good for you. And so anyway, uh, but I was taking my Lanta and my Maalox. Yes. Both which contain aluminum. Mm. 
I also oh, used interesting. Yeah. Um, antiperspirant with aluminum hydroxide in it. Yes. Um, I heard a gal say that her mom's Alzheimer's might be aler- might be linked to aluminum. Yes. So I quit the antacid, and I, I've only used deodorant since then. Yes. And my memory problem went away, and so did my trouble getting words out. Huh, wow. What a big difference that is, Jerry. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I think it's um, a lot of it's linked to aluminum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my aunt, who um, had Alzheimer's, had always warmed up her food in aluminum foil in the oven. Okay. Their leftovers. Yes. So I really think there's aluminum uh, linked to it. And I'm sure the aluminum um, industry has a lot of lobbyists that are fighting that, but I really think there is. And I ran into a gal at the senior center that my mom had known that was having troubles with her memory, and I was telling her about it at the bazaar. Yes. And another gal overheard me, and she said she had had that same experience that I had had. Very interesting. I think that's a very, very, very valid point. Yeah. So that's my personal experience. Well, thank you. And obviously you've talked to other people, and you started observing it in other people. Yeah. So that's a very valid information. Well, and I made a like a spiced tongue one time, and and um, from my a grandmother's recipe, and I had aluminum foil over the top of it. Yes, this was years and years ago. Yes. before I, you know, knew you, about you this. You knew, yes. yes, yes. Um, and, and the acid ate the aluminum. Is that right? Yeah, it ate ate a part of the. Wow part of the aluminum way. Uh, wow. So I think you need to be very, very careful. I, I don't use aluminum foil. If I use aluminum foil, I put wax paper underneath it. Yeah, I don't use it with yeah. food. Yeah, wow. Any, any in contact with food at all. Okay. So um, I think that's something people need to think about really, really carefully. Yes, and really get rid of your aluminum pans. Just, oh yeah, just, just definitely. Don't, don't do it. Yes, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, and then we we, uh, oh, you know, you got your vaccinations that may have aluminum in it. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an ongoing saga. So yeah, the the cognitive decline, uh, the aluminum we have to add it to the list. Yeah. All right. Well, Thanks, and, and yes. you know the Alzheimer's. I'm not sure when that started getting worse too. There seemed to be all of a sudden that there was a whole lot more of that. A lot of these disorders, in my opinion, have started to increase in the last 50 years. And we, we just, even though we have so much more information, I just don't see people becoming, enough people becoming proactive and yeah. either speaking up. It's one thing if you say, uh, we're not going to buy this product anymore and people will feel it in the wallet, you know, that they say, hey, the company say, hey, the business is down. Uh, there's too many, it, it is so widely used. Aluminum is so big part of who we are that uh, there is many people who still use it and uh, it doesn't look like we're putting a dent into it. But, you know, whatever we can do on an individual basis, that's where it starts. Yeah. Well, and I'm a retired RN. Okay. Um, and, and my chiropractor has said he's never seen anybody that can, can um, you know, is so observant of, of what's happening in their body. Good. Um, and, you know... Um, because I can tell him you know, a lot of times what you know what's, what's going you. on and yeah. Yeah. and you know what I'm guessing is out and it is yeah so yeah. 
Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for the call. Uh-huh. Okay, bye. bye-bye. I'm going to go back to the article I was reading about birth control pills, which are still linked to breast cancer, the study found out. Um, the study, um, let's see, while a link has been established between birth control pills and breast cancer years ago, this study is the first to examine the risks associated with current formulations of birth control pills and devices that are currently in use in a large population because it was 1.8 million Danish women. The study found few differences in risk between the formulations. Women cannot protect themselves by turning to implants or intrauterine devices that release a hormone directly into the uterus. Um, So there are choices that you can use birth control without the hormones, and that will probably be the better way to go. The research also suggests that the hormone progestin, widely used in today's birth control methods, may be raising breast cancer risk. That is so interesting, and I've, I, it has been discussed on the program, and, and some of you may have read about this yourself. It is such a quickly confusing word, word, word. If you sit in front of your doctor and the doctor says, well, I suggest we're going to use some progestins and, and people say, oh, that he said proge- he or she said progesterone. There is a difference. Progestin is a synthetic hormone. Progestin, T-I-N at the end. It has very poor absorbability, number one. Number two, it happens to have estrogenic side effects estrogenic side effects. Now, compare that to natural bioidentical progesterone, R-O-N-E. It does not have estrogenic side effects. It has progesterone benefits, which means it offsets estrogenic side effects. So when they talk over here about progestins being put in intrauterine device, or in the birth control pill, oh, goodness gracious, we may see a slight decline in symptoms, but we are still exposed to even more estrogenic side effects, therefore raising the risk of breast cancer. And again, I want to make clear that if you have a risk of breast cancer, it is caused because of an estrogenic um imbalance and uh, imbalance between the amounts of estrogens and progesterone and therefore it doesn't only affect breast cancer but also the ovaries the fallopian tubes the uterus the cervix and the vagina anything female can be affected in a negative way by an imbalance between estrogens and progesterone in every case whereby progesterone is less than the estrogen. So this can happen when your estrogens are low and your progesterone is almost zero. It can happen when your estrogens are normal, totally normal, but the progesterone is low. And it can happen when your estrogens are high and the progesterone is normal. 
That is called estrogen dominance. It can also be high estrogen, low progesterone, or no progesterone, depending on what the discrepancy is between the two, the differences between the two, it may indicate the acceleration in your symptoms and the acceleration in you developing any of the female-related cancers. There is also a link, by the way, for you gentlemen, between prostate cancer and estrogens, accelerated estrogens. So if your doctor tells you that because you have prostate cancer, you have to get off the testosterone because testosterone accelerates prostate cancer, then smile at him because if that was the case, every 25-year-old male in this country would be full of prostate cancer. They got lots of testosterone and they do not have prostate cancer. Prostate cancer happens when the amount of testosterone drops, which starts to happen after about 35 years old. By the time we're 70, we don't have a whole lot left. And the amount of estrogens, which are low, usually low when we're young, but they go up as we age because of the environment we've been exposed to in the last 50 years. And uh, uh, that is in so many cases and places and preparations, etc., etc., which I just discussed earlier. So progestin is an estrogen mimicker almost, widely used in today's birth control methods, maybe raising breast cancer, ovarian cancer, fallopian cancer, etc. This is an important study because we had no idea how the modern-day pills compared to the old-fashioned pills in terms of breast cancer risk, and we didn't know anything about IUDs, says Dr. Marisa Weiss. So she's an oncologist who founded the website breastcancer.org, and she was not involved in the study. Gynecologists just assumed that a lower dose of hormone meant a lower risk of cancer, but the same elevated risk is there. Yes, Dr. Weiss, you are waking up. Now, what are you going to do about it? That's what it comes down to, right? What are we going to do about it ourselves? But what is Dr. Weiss, an oncologist who founded the website breastcancer.org, what is she going to do about it? She said, it is small, but it's measurable. And if you add up all the millions of women taking the pill, it is a significant public health concern. The study was limited, the order said, because they could not take into account factors like physical activity, breastfeeding, and alcohol consumption, which may also influence breast cancer risk. No, it doesn't. Not to that point. Officials with the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists said that they would carefully evaluate the new findings, but they emphasized that hormonal contraceptives are for many women among the most safe, effective, and accessible options available. So they are saying it is safe to protect you from undesirable pregnancies. Yes, it's readily available. But look at the long-term study. If 1.8 million people are showing that when they're tested for more than a decade, that we see an increase in breast cancer. This is just breast cancer. And again, not all the other cancers. And for them to come out then, well, because the officials with the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists are the ones who prescribing the freaking medication. 
They're the ones putting it out there. Of course, they're not going to say that it's dangerous. Oh, goodness gracious. So they say it could actually, if level, <laughs> they say uh, it is all small, but it's measurable. And if you add up all the millions of women taking a pill, it is a significant public health concern. So for them to say that hormonal contraceptives are for many women among the most safe, effective, and accessible options available, yes, if you read one half of the sentence. But you have to say a but in there and fix the narrative and speak the truth about what it means in the long term. Anyway, folks, uh, we are going to take another short break. Stay tuned, please. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Uh, I want to continue a little bit more about this article about the uh, hormones and the birth control pills. That uh, says birth control pills are still linked to breast cancer, study find. Um, Officials with the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists, that's how I closed out this last hour, said that they would carefully evaluate the new findings, but they emphasized that hormonal contraceptives are for many people amongst the most safe, effective, and accessible options available. That is the biggest BS that I've ever heard, that these people are saying this because it is absolutely a lie if they if the results show no, it is dangerous, and they come out, it's still the most among the most safe. Listen, it is an option. If you want to call it an option, that's fine. But do not say that it is amongst the most safe, effective, and accessible options available. Experts, oh God, anybody can be an expert these days, isn't it amazing? Experts noted. Can you tell I'm getting a little ticked off? Uh, experts noted that all contraceptives have some benefits as well and are associated with reductions in ovarian, endometrial, and possible colorectal cancers later in life. What a baloney. Uh, no, it's not. It's not. So Dr. Chris Zahn, he is a vice president for practice activities. He is from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. He acknowledged a link between breast cancer risk and hormone use, but he urged concerns women to consult a trusted medical provider before making changes. And ma'am, if you please talk to one of my colleagues at the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists, because we're all in agreement, it's going to be just fine. So that is a bunch of baloney if I've ever eaten one sandwich of that. Uh, he says, it is important that women feel confident and comfortable with a contraceptive choice. Well, maybe instead of doing so much social media and learning about other people's little issues, read a little bit on social media about the safety or, shall I say, the danger of hormone-infused contraceptives. Use your time wisely, folks. Anyway, because risk increases with age, Dr. Weiss suggested, so Dr. Weiss, to remind you, her name was Dr. Weiss, and where was she mentioned again? Uh, Marissa Weiss, an oncologist who founded the website breastcancer.org. Uh, because the risk increases with age, Dr. Weiss suggested that older women may want to consider switching to a hormone-free birth control method like a diaphragm, an IUD, that does not release hormones or condoms. It's not like you don't have a choice, she said. Why not pursue another option? Well, 
if you tell me that not using hormones and the contraceptives is a safer choice, why don't you just make that option available only? You know, just promote that one. Tell women, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but then we learned that when we added progestins, not progesterone, progestins, synthetic hormone, to the mix, uh, we saw a slight increase in breast cancer risk and all the other cancer risks. Just cut the crap and just put stuff in there that is good for you or that doesn't affect you in a negative way. So then... We get a little good news here in a commentary accompanying the new study, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. David J. Hunter, a professor of epidemiology and medicine at the University of Oxford, said the new study did not find that any modern contraceptives were risk-free. Quote, there was a hope that the contemporary preparations would be associated with lower risk, he said in an interview. This is the first study with substantial data to show that's not the case. So it is dangerous. Nearly 10 million American women use contraceptives, including about 1.5 million who rely on them for reasons other than birth control. The number of, and that is another Oh, goodness gracious. That is because women go to the doctor and say, I have PMS. Well, you don't have PMS because you are, you don't have PMS because you have an issue with estrogen. You simply have an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. Increase progesterone, make changes in your diet, cut, cut the sugar, and you're going to start seeing an improvement. He says, uh, including about 1.5 million who rely on them for reasons other than birth control. The number of women in the United States with intrauterine devices, many of which release hormones, has grown in recent years. Now, let me, let me ask. Uh, well, let me first finish this sentence, okay, before I start growing gray hair over here. Which has grown in recent years, has, as has the number of women using other types of hormonal contraceptive implants. So the number of women in the United States with IUDs, intrauterine devices, many of which release hormones, has grown in recent years, as has the number of women using other types of hormonal contraceptive implants. Though the older oral contraceptives were known to increase the risk of breast cancer, many doctors and patients had assumed the newer generation of pills on the market today were safer. Yet, the new study found increased risks that were similar in magnitude to the heightened risk reported in earlier studies based on birth control pills used in the 1980s and even earlier, Dr. Hunter said. We did actually expect we would find a smaller increase in risk because today we have lower doses of estrogens in the hormone contraceptives. Well, but you add progestins to it, which have estrogenic side effects. So it was surprising that we found this association, says Lena Morch, a senior researcher at the University of Copenhagen and the paper's lead author. The study also found that the risk increased the longer women use contraceptives involving hormones, suggesting the relationship is casual. It is a very clear picture for us, very convincing. Now, I want to go back here 
So here you have Dr. Chris Zahn. Dr. Chris Zahn, he is the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologist Vice President for Practice Activities, who acknowledged a link between breast cancer risk and hormone use, but urged, okay, <laughs> this is unbelievable, but he urged concerned women to consult a trusted medical provider before making changes. He said it's important that women feel confident and comfortable with a contraceptive choice. Meanwhile, these specific doctors are all part of the American College of the of gynecologists and 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 what you call it, you know, obstetricians. They're all part of the clan. So here you go to your doctor, who you trust, and this doctor says, "Well, I was told by my own college, who I'm a member of and pay dues to." And my insurance company was all connected with this to sell you the hormone-laden contraceptives. So it is unbelievable that Dr. Dratz can sit here and talk about a study that shows that if you use fish oil, omega-3, in heart disease, it didn't show a significant improvement not worth not worth mentioning in a way and he clearly says that once he starts reading the information he finds out that the group used were people who were very sick the amount of fish oil was very low very low not a therapeutic dose but a simply very low dose and the study time was very short so the parameters used in this so-called significant study that was even worth, that should not have been worth the paper it was printed on, is seen as a blow to the dietary supplement industry where we see doctors, medical doctors, people who have been to school for gazillion years who simply without fear are willing to accept the fact that when they prescribe drugs that have a side effect, a clear side effect of causing breast cancer, with a smile, recommend this to young women and mothers that it is not a significant risk. If I would tell people in my store that if you use vitamin D, high amounts of vitamin D, to the point where you are get your blood levels between 75 and 100, that you could actually help to fight cancers, I could be shut down because I would make a claim that I cannot substantiate, which is not true because it is researched. But if I would make a claim and use the word cancer, in a store, people could literally shut me down because I would be prescribing, curing, treating, explaining things to people. And here are doctors who see the results of studies that have shown to increase cancer and simply say, go ahead and use it. Go ahead and use it. And you are wondering 
why we cannot get a hold on breast cancer, why we still see numbers rising in spite of all the walks to end breast cancer, in spite of everybody wearing pink, in spite of everybody contributing to the Susan G. Komen Foundation, in spite of everybody saying, oh, breast cancer, breast cancer. Folks, we have an epidemic in this country, in the Western world, because of the, the people who are supposed to protect us stimulating the cancers the way they're prescribing stuff. The ones who we go to to trust to tell us the truth about our health are telling us lies. And that is a problem whereby we see that we will never, ever, ever fight the, the, the battle with cancer. We will not win it unless we stop being so socially active and start worrying about ourselves and start worrying about our health and start worrying if, if health is important to you. It usually becomes important when somebody comes in and says, man, I have been feeling sick for the last three months. All of a sudden, it is important. But those who gradually start developing diseases don't even notice how sick they are and how sick they have become until for them, it becomes unbearable. And then they go to the doctor and say, can you help me? The doctor says, well, I know nothing about you, but if you want me to help you, why don't you take this pill? I do know that it causes cancer, but hey, you're going to die anyway the way you're going. You're, at your speed, you'll be there maybe before the, the medication kicks in. We're living in a very sad time. A wonderful time, but we also have a very sad time. The powers that be promote cancer in whatever they try. They promote Alzheimer's. And then they come out and say, we're fighting Alzheimer's. We got to go after the Alzheimer's. Uh, we we got to, anything that caused Alzheimer's. Except what they're promoting, which has caused the problem to begin with, and they don't stop it. They will stop an herb they will stop a dietary supplement from going on the market or they take it off the market. But meanwhile, the prescription drugs and the, in this case, the, 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 the birth control pill, the intrauterine device, the other methods that they use that have shown in studies to cause cancer, they keep promoting it. They're not taking that off the shelf. What is wrong with this picture? 522-8255, 522-TALK. Just, by the way, going back to Alzheimer's, I just had a call. During the break, a caller said, I got to run. I cannot stay and wait for the, for the show. But she said, in one of the senior centers in this town, senior homes, um, where people are being taken care of, they only use aluminum pans to make their meals. What does it tell you? Are we stupid or something, or is there a hidden message? Get rid of your aluminum pans. Uh, no, okay, so we have another article. I don't even want to talk about this anymore because it, uh, <laughs> it, it, it just, it just, it just, it's ridiculous. Okay, another article that uh, came on. Oh, it looks like I have uh, somebody calling in. 
Hey. Good morning, uh, caller. Thanks for joining the show this morning. What's your name? How can we help you? My name is Jay, and I was just going to add to your discussion that what you're describing reminds me of what happened to lead to the opioid crisis. Thank you, Jay. That's a great point. Um, on an unrelated topic, and you don't have to go here today if you don't want to. I, I was going to talk about opioids also. No, no, no. I was oh. going to just ask you an unrelated topic. Oh, yeah, you, you bet. Uh -huh. talk about it. So I have a, I don't know if it's a theory, but um, I, I believe that, you know, good health basically starts in the gut. And that um, perhaps unappreciated are the value of hot peppers in that regard. Yeah. Any comments? That hot peppers may cause uh, gut problems? No, no. Cure or just keep you healthy. Hmm. Well, anyway, I have, I have personal anecdotal experience. Yeah, go for it. Share it with us. I, uh, well, I spent almost a year in uh, parts of Africa, and my doctors were convinced I would be sick as a dog from, you know, just not being exposed to all the different things that are there, and I never got sick once, and I attribute it to my love of hot peppers, which I eat wherever I go. Yeah. And uh, I think it's like a, you know, kind of helps. Well, I don't understand the science of it, but I just have to believe that it helps keep your gut clean. Well, it does, it's not just the gut. It really is the blood. The, uh -huh. the, yeah, the cayenne, the cayenne that is the, the spice that is in the hot peppers is a, uh, is, uh, that works tremendous on circulating the blood. So it helps to move the blood throughout the system and thereby it, 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 it cleans it out. And so it is not as much the gut as it is the uh, the bloodstream. And the gut is really an issue where you have to get used to it. People who eat a hot pepper, they'll burn their throat and their tongue and they lose all their sense for, for, for flavor. But the more you build it up and do it, it is a wonderful thing. And what, what has happened in the natural supplement industry, Jay, is that they have come out with a product called Cool Cayenne, which contains some ginger and marshmallow to be easier on the stomach. But there is 40,000 heat units in one capsule. And people start with one capsule, and when they feel good, they, they, they move it up. And um, they may go to two capsules a day or perhaps three. But two capsules, one to two capsules a day, you do that for a week, a week and a half, and you can feel more energy. You start, within a month, you start to see clearing of skin lesions and skin problems. Uh, you, you feel warmer in the body in, an, in a good way. It regulates your temperature. And usually people in Africa, and I used to have an uncle that was stationed in Indonesia during the Second World War, but he would say all they ate was hot peppers because it was the only way for them to stay cool in the heat. So I'm, I'm going to let you go, but I also wanted to thank you for the kind words you said about Richard Shafsky. He was a good friend of mine. Oh, wonderful. Yes. I, I, you know, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I did talk to Mary. Uh, no, I didn't talk to her, but I texted her on Monday. So I, I made the announcements last week, Saturday. It's okay. It, it, I, I talked to her during the week. Okay, it's, good, good, good. The, the, the actual day doesn't matter. It was, That's right. It was happening. You're right, Jay. Thank you. A good man is gone. He was he was a wonderful person. Yes, so, absolutely. But his spirit lives on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Uh, there was an article, article that came out. So we talked about the conceptives. Uh, there was an article that came out in June 3rd. 
that was also on the health uh, pages of the New York Times. It's called Good News for Women with Breast Cancer. Many do not need chemotherapy. Isn't that something? Good news for women with breast cancer. Many do not need chemo. Well, that'll, that is a shock. Many women with early-stage breast cancer who would receive chemotherapy under current standards. So I guess they're figuring out that the standards are not right. Um, do not actually need it, according to a major international study that is expected to quickly change medical treatment. Yes, because it's like a mammoth. My God, you can't change these people. We can spare thousands and thousands of women from getting toxic treatment that really would not have benefited them. Now, then my question is again, okay, sorry to be picky. How come with all the gazillions that we put into breast cancer research, nobody has come up with this brilliant idea? Why is it done in international studies, not in United States studies? If we are so proud of our research, how come something as simple as this that is simply overused and which therapy hasn't really changed much since the early 60s, chemo and radiation, that was still, that's what we, that's what we bank on. Uh, to me, that makes no sense. So let's say, let's, let's go with it anyway, okay? We can spare thousands and thousands of women from getting toxic treatment that really would not benefit them, said Dr. Ingrid A. Mayer from Vanderbilt University Medical Center and author of the study. This is very powerful. It really changes the standard of care. The study found that gene tests on tumor samples were able to identify women who could safely skip chemotherapy and take only a drug that blocks the hormone estrogen. Hey, estrogen! or stops the body from making it. The hormone-blocking drug, tamoxifen, and related medicines called endocrine therapy have become an essential part of treatment for most women because they lower the risks of recurrence, new breast tumors, and death from the disease. From, they, they, they lower the risks of recurrence, they lower the risk of new breast cancer tumors, and they lower the risk of death from the disease. Now, Dr. Larry Norton of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York says, I think this is a very significant advance. He's not an author in the study, but his hospital participated. I'll be able to look people in the eye and say, hey, we analyzed your tumor. You have a really good prognosis and you actually do not need chemotherapy. That's a nice thing to be able to say to somebody. Of course, we don't know all the side effects of tamoxifen. But the findings apply to about 60,000 women a year in the United States. And this is according to Dr. Joseph Sperano of Montefiore Medical Center in New York, who was the leader of the study. The results indicate that now we can spare chemotherapy in about 70% of patients who would be potential candidates for it, for it based on clinical features. Doctor, but Dr. Sperano and Dr. Mayer added a note of caution. The data indicated that some women 50 and younger might benefit from chemo even if gene test results suggested otherwise. It's not clear why, but those women require a specially careful consultation, they said. Well, those people are still productive in the industry. They still make money, so we can still bleed them a little bit. But the old women, hey... They don't make any more money. They don't contribute to the Medicare, and they don't want to pay. So we don't need to use chemo on them. 
but the younger ones, yes. Most cases of breast cancer occur in older women. Aha. The median age of di diagnosis in the United States is 62. Well, folks, you take it for what it is. It, it said this year, about 260,000 new cases of breast cancer are expected. So after all this work on breast cancer, and everybody, again, walking the walk, walking in pink, walking for breast cancer. I know some of you are listening and say, I've had breast cancer, and it is horrible. Listen, I am not talking about that. I know that once you're diagnosed with cancer, it's horrible. I am talking, I am talking about, number one, what could you have prevented yourself? Number two, when you went for medical advice about why do I get this cancer, did you get the correct answers from an institution that is too slow to look at the current research and literally switch the page, turn the page, move into something else, start with a clean slate. That is what worries me. Did you get the right answers at the time? I mean, don't blame the messenger, okay? It's just because I bring it out and look at some of the other research and have seen people change because they decided to change their attitude, they decided to change their lifestyle, they decided to start taking dietary supplements, they decided to change their diet, and all of a sudden the body had nothing to work with to accelerate the cancer, and the cancer was literally turned around. If you look at Bert Golding last week talking about pH factor in the body and talk, talking about what can we do to bring the pH in the saliva between 7.1 and 7.5, he said, you will see time and time and time and time again that cancer cannot exist in that environment. But most people are too acidic or they're too alkaline, and then you hit a danger zone. And he said, somebody who has a pH of 7, you increase your risk of uh, all kinds of diseases, whatever the diseases that you are sensitive to. But if you get it at 7.1 to 7.5, you will see a healing happening in the body. So if you're given the wrong information and you go with it and you suffer because of it, then don't blame all of a sudden uh, the people who say, well, how can you say that this is, that people are not making an effort? Of course people are making an effort, but everybody talks from their own angle. Okay, so that is that is my point. That is what I want to say. Um, um and, and when you are diagnosed with cancer and the doctor tells you you got three months to live, what does that do to you psychologically? Who are these evil people who literally tell somebody you got a week and a half to live or three months or six months? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You could have a 100% healthy person just doing everything organic. Everything. They eat with chopsticks. They chew their food 80 times. They wear Birkenstocks. They're totally healthy and they got hit by a car tomorrow, or they jump off a cliff with, a, with their skis, and they, they tumble, break their neck, they're dead. Nobody knows. Don't let any physician tell you how long you have. That, to me, is one of the most evil things because it messes with your brain. And how many people are being told, if you do not use, if you do not use chemotherapy, or, or I know of people who have come to me and who simply said, do you see that there is hope to heal the cancer that I have? And I said, yes, there is hope. And, they, and I said, this is information you can read and see if it's something you can do with, you, if there's something you can do with it. They go back to their doctor and say, 
I did get a second opinion. Will you give me six months to get my life together, to get my act together? And the answer is, and this is again, as they are sick, they're sitting in front of the doctor, they have just been diagnosed. They come in with hope and they sit in front of the doctor and they say, can I try something different? If it's still, if I still have the cancer in six months, I will work with your treatment. And the doctor says, go for it. Do that. However, if you don't follow my protocol today and you come back to me in six months, the insurance may not cover you. So what do most people do who spend an arm and a leg already in insurance? They say, okay, I'll just go with whatever you say. To me, it's criminal. It's criminal. That's me. You may think differently. You want to change the topic. You want to add to this 522-8255. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I am your host, Jacobus Holloway. It is kind of an open line, uh, but we've been talking now about cancer and female health. But if you want to you wanna sway, you want to say something, uh, 522-8255 or send me a text at 5, uh, no, just make it 266. Let's change the number, 266-7617. That is the text message. So here it goes. This year, about 260,000 new cases of breast cancer are expected in women in the United States. 260,000. And then 41,000 deaths of breast cancer. Globally, the most recent figures are from 2012. So we're slightly behind the eight ball right here. But in 2012, there were 1.7 million new cases and more than half a million deaths. You make of it what you want. The other article, <laughs> the other article that I mentioned in the uh, beginning of the promo uh, for the show leading up for the promo leading up to the show was that a research article that Dr. Uh, that Dr. Dratz uh, told me about and uh, I showed it to him he said I didn't even remember I sent it to you uh, it's called serum antioxidants are associated with serum reproductive hormones and ovulation among healthy women and in a nutshell uh, this article talks about it's a great study but uh, and it was done on quite a few women uh, well actually 259 uh, so not huge but it was an interesting study that showed that when women were taken higher amounts of um, um, ascorbic acid which is vitamin c and if they were taking good vitamin e like the gamma tocopherol vitamin e primarily or a mixed vitamin e that their estrogen and testosterone levels were better regulated and that progesterone, protective progesterone levels would go up. And that was an interesting study. So the hormones in women who have PMS, if they increase their ascorbic acid and their vitamin E, they actually will start to see a decrease in symptoms. Why? Because those dietary supplements or those nutrients, let's call it nutrients, are increasing the amount of natural occurring progesterone, which is an antidote to PMS-related symptoms. So that, to me, was very interesting. Good morning, caller. Thanks for holding on. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Yeah, so on this cancer thing, uh, you know, a good friend of my brother's, and he was 
you know, a friend of mine too just barely died of uh, prostate cancer, and he was he wasn't even fifty yet, and they yep. told him he had like a month to live or something like that. Yes, and actually he passed away last weekend, like last. Well, it was like he was buried last week. Yes. A week ago. Yes. And you know, it makes you think about your mortality. And it's sad though that yeah, you're like you said, it's sad that they'll tell you, Oh yeah, you got a week or a month or six months and then they give you poison <laughs> you know. Yes. As a treatment. Yes. And man, it's really uh sad that that uh, that's what people think that they need, you know, to take care of their body. Um, I think we all are in the one, the big thing too, for him, when he just decided he didn't do chemo, but he had such a blockage that basically he just was like, I'm done. I'm okay with it. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, but the quality of life that we enjoy, I mean, even people, most people that I know, they don't even have a good quality of life. They're eating so much crap. You know, five yeah. energy drinks a day. Uh, Just to stay ahead. We keep candy. the heads above water, yes. Yeah, chips. And I've been there, too, where I drink two or three energy drinks a day, and it's just like it's a vicious cycle. Yes. You can't start drinking them or you'll you get hooked on them. Yes. Yes, it is. And it is. It is true. Um because you are, it's not because there is just herbs in there or caffeine. It is, first of all, the jolt of sugar you get. And it is usually not just sugar. It is usually high fructose corn syrup. And so you oh, yeah. not only do you get the jolt of the, the sugar, you also get the mixture of different chemicals that are, that are in there that in the long run have a debilitating and devastating effect on the system, both the brain and the physical body. And you can feel like, you know, I have uh, lipomas, you know, here and there in my yeah, body. And yeah, you can, yeah. When you're, when you're not eating well, you can feel them. They get bigger. Yes, that's right. And, and when you eat well, they shrink. <laughs> that's right. And, and, and so it's amazing, you know, how amazing our bodies are, what they can do if we... Even if you just stop eating and fast, your body will heal. It's amazing. Well, but if you fast, you're going to have to make some adjustments. You're going to have to rest. Oh, yeah. You cannot just yeah. do the same active lifestyle while you're fasting. You will have to let the body rest so it can heal. Uh, you you could do uh, healthy fluids, um, teas or water with some lemon juice or something of that nature, or like some people do with the maple syrup and the uh, the cayenne pepper and the lemon, uh, like the master cleanse. But there is something that you need to do, including enemas and perhaps colonics, to clean out the bottom half of your body so that you are opening the the ways to for the body to eliminate. You don't just want to go on a fast. You also want to get rid of what's stuck in the body and, and let the body give give the body a chance to perch, and then you slowly rebuild it up again. Oh yeah, but you know, and as you fast, it gets easier. So if you, I mean, I've, I've never fasted for more than a day. Yeah. But I've done intermittent fasting a lot, and now yeah. I've done it enough to where I just it's not that big a deal anymore. 
Yeah, what times of right. the days do you eat? Ten and six? No, I eat after one o'clock. Okay. So, and then I eat usually dinner. I'm not that strict, but I try to eat dinner before eight o'clock. Okay. So it's about a seven-hour spread for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, that's it's an interesting topic, the whole intermittent fasting, and I think it it helps people. Uh, it's not always easy socially, but it, it it helps people. So there's a there's a Canadian doctor. He's an Asian guy that has a lot of good lectures, and he talks about the difference between water fa- or fasting with fluids, yeah, and then dry fasting, yeah, or you know versus you know doing a one day fast versus two or three day fast, and the benefits you get as you go along, and how your body will produce. Yes. Uh, stem cells, and it's amazing what your body can do. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for the input. Thanks I got one more caller. You bet. Thanks for the call. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the show. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Hi, Joe. This is Susie. Hey, Susie. Nice oh. to hear your voice again. Well, thank you. And, uh, if you remember, my brother died from a glioblastoma. Yes. Um, I need to tell the audience that you're absolutely correct about the chemotherapy but what i found out is they make people do the chemotherapy first even though they knew on my brother it did absolutely nothing and during that period of time the tumor kept growing the chemo they knew that but for some reason they have put in these rules yes the the insurance companies the the chemotherapy companies and and the government that you have to the doctors have to do that before you can go on to uh, like an immunotherapy oh. or anything like that. So when you take a, a Dr. Bozinski clinic in Texas, who has a lot of success with cancer, yep. he says the best patients are those who have not had chemo or radiation yet. Well, because they've been sitting there idling while the cancer is growing. Correct. That's that, and, and it's eaten away at their body. It's uh, so their response to the immunotherapy is much more uh, difficult. But I have something even bigger yeah. that, that I found out, yes, and I'm not going to name the insurance company. I'll just let people guess at this. Yeah, I kept getting calls because I'm a you know a senior. They do that when you become a senior. They're always checking on your medication. The insurance yes. companies. And the calls were coming from the Philippines. Really? And I, so I called up uh, the company, and I said, why are these calls coming from the Philippines? Well, we have a call center down there, and they have full access to your medical records. Wow. I said, what? Wow. And they hire people off the street down there, and anybody that's been following uh, the Philippine Islands story knows that that place, those islands are falling apart from drug cartels. Yeah. So it's very, very dangerous. But then I also found out that Medicare has a call center down there. And when they went into Obamacare, do you remember this? Everybody had to go on this new federalized system. Yes, that was made in Canada. Yeah, well, I don't remember where it was made, but all the doctor's offices were forced to do it, the hospitals, and that gave the government access to federalize everybody's records and therefore put them anywhere they wanted. And I don't know about people that are not seniors, but I can tell you, if you're a Medicare patient, 
there's a good chance that your records are down in the Philippines. Oh, I mean, does, this, see, this is, I called, now listen, I called Tester's office. They didn't believe it. I said, I can confirm it. And I called Dane's office. Yeah. And nobody seemed to care. And the reason I think is they've been caught with their pants down. Yeah. This is outrageous that our medical records, which used to be secret between the doctor and the patient, are now in a foreign country. Wow. And I didn't know who to call. And then when you start talking today, I thought, you know what? I'm going to call Jehovah's. So people, you can get out there and you can confirm this. Wow. And this is outrageous. And we need to get a hold of the congressman and whoever and say, you get those records back here yeah. in the United States. I mean, can yeah. you imagine somebody really bad getting their hands on everybody's records? It's already happening. Yeah. It's already happening. It, it is happening. And it and when you have ISIS down there, you have drug cartels, you have it, the place is falling apart. They've yes. had nine mayors murdered. Yes, yes, yes. You've heard that. Absolutely. I mean, so they've got our medical records down there. And the reason I think they're doing it is for the expense. Yes. Because it's it's cheaper. But they hire people off the street, for yes. heaven's sake. Yeah. I mean, they... they I got to run, Susie. I got to run. Well, what an interesting talk. Go ahead and check it. Yeah, I will do that. Thank okay. you so much. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Uh, folks, it is the end of the program. I thank you all for tuning in today. Please be safe. We'll talk to you again next week, Saturday from 8 to 11 for another edition of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Bye-bye.